Welcome to the Braver Podcast, episode five. Welcome to the Braver Podcast, the podcast that's focused on helping real estate business owners to transition from doing it all themselves to building a true business that creates freedom for them. Each week, we grow braver together by focusing on facing the fears and what we're avoiding to grow to the next level. If you want to hear more about building a true business, getting motivation and encouragement, leadership, spirituality, and growing braver, you found the right podcast. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Alex. So glad to have you on. Danny, it's a, it's a pleasure, man. I have heard about your podcast for many, many years. I'm glad we've, uh, we've connected and uh, it's awesome to be on your show. Yeah, man. Thanks. It is weird that we've not crossed paths with a lot of same friends and been in the business for similar amount of years. And even I just know. now when we had that brief conversation, sort of our paths in the business have been pretty similar too. And yeah. why don't we jump into that so everybody knows what we're talking about. You want to share your, your start in this business? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I came from, I come from a, from a, a Cuban family, really. My, nobody in my family is an entrepreneur. My, my parents came over from Cuba in the 60s. Uh, you know, middle-class family. I certainly didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth, but I also didn't have some of the hardships that maybe some of your listeners have. Uh, but I, I was taught at a young age work ethic. And if you want something, believe in yourself, go out and get it. And I remember being 11, 10, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, growing up at the, you know, on the baseball field. And um, I, I love sports cards. And that was my first introduction to buying something low, selling it for a little bit higher and making some money. And I would be, you know, buy for a dollar, sell for $2. And I, I didn't know it was basically wholesaling and flipping, you know, uh, but I, I liked that. And I got into college and I don't know if it was an ego thing for me, Danny, but I, it was something at least in my crazy head, prestigious or uh, illustrious about like climbing the corporate ladder and being like the CEO of a big company. Um, I think it was, it was ego, honestly. And so I started interviewing with companies like Johnson and Johnson, General Motors, General Electric, long story short, I and got accepted. For the big ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going for the CEO. big ones. And then you're saying Johnson and Johnson, like, whoa, you are. Yeah. I had, top. I've always been super, super ambitious. Ever since I was a kid, I've always been very ambitious um, and I've failed significantly more times than I've succeeded, uh, but I've learned so much from those failures and I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. But uh, I ended up getting accepted into General Electric's financial management program, which was pretty cool because they only select like 40 to 50 people a year to groom as the future CFOs and CEOs of the company. Uh, well, you know, you know, you have those fork in the moment. Uh, fork in the road moments in your life or business. For me, it was like three months into that job. I was averaging like 70, 75 hours a week. Uh, I was doing nothing but just being behind PowerPoint and Excel all day. And I've always been pretty decent, Danny, at reverse engineering what I wanted. Like thinking about the big picture and saying, okay, if I want this, how do I reverse engineer and how do I actually get there? And I started looking at my boss and her boss all the way up the ladder to the position I ultimately aspired to be in one day. And I was like, there's no way that I want to like do that and have that lifestyle. I mean, it was just crazy. So finished off that two year program, went backpacking around Europe to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I'll, I'll admit that at 25 years old, I ended up moving back into my parents' house. So I, I moved from New York city back to Miami, uh, Single guy, 25 years old, living back home. It's not a good look. 
you know, and uh, I was motivated to like figure out what I wanted to do with my life at that point. So, you know, picked up rich dad, poor dad. I'm sure you've never heard that before. Right. And I'm like, what was that? No, I was just kidding. I was like, what is it? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, but no, it, it, it exposed me to like real estate, you know? And so uh, I was in Ibiza and a friend of mine sent me an email. I was in an internet cafe and this was like towards the tail end of my trip. I was going to be moving back to Miami and I knew I didn't want to get a job. I just didn't know what I wanted to do yet. And he said, Hey, I'm going to this marketing for deals boot camp in Atlanta. This was October of 2005. Uh, it was $997, which could have been like a hundred grand to me at the time. Cause I just didn't have much money. Uh, but I knew I had to do something. So made the decision, went to that boot camp, and I literally plucked out a pre foreclosure letter from like the three ring manual that they give you. And I just made photocopies. Danny, it was so ghetto because you could literally see the black <laughs> three holes from the printer. Like I didn't have any money, dude. Uh, I was bootstrapping this thing. I sent out like 300 and something pre foreclosure letters, started getting some calls, fumbled my way into a contract. And my first deal was a short sale where we made 44 grand about two to three months after I started sending out those mailers. Nice. That was my introduction to, uh, to real estate investing. And, and, you know, I didn't look back that almost replaced my, uh, you know, my salary at GE and, uh, and yeah, man, from there, I just started kind of figuring it out, fumbling forward. I love the, the real stories though, like about how it really is for people. Like you're saying, you know, copying that letter and still having like the, the three hole punch, you know, going over onto the copies because I don't know so many times we want to we hear things we want to make it perfect we feel like we've got to make things perfect and it's really just about doing it that's right fumbling through seeing what works and what doesn't on your own right you can hear people all day long saying they did this and it worked for them but you don't know every detail of that even if they talked about it for an hour you're going to miss some details a hundred percent you know when you come across doing it yourself i'm speaking obviously to, to the audience right anybody that's right. you know struggled with getting things going but they come across some of those moments where it's a gap in the knowledge where they didn't hear that in the talk or something. And they're like, oh, well, I don't know what to do until I figure this out. Well, just figure it out or just skip it. Just like do it, right? Just get that that phone ringing. But I also do have to say that I'm, I'm kind of glad to hear that you did have to go and move back with your parents at 25. Because, you know, after talking about going backpacking around Europe, I was kind of jealous and I was like, okay, well, at least he had to move back home afterwards. So Yeah, man. Yeah, no. So I, I did live at my uh, back in my parents' house for a three, four month stint. You know, I got the opportunity to travel around Europe, which was incredible. And uh, but yeah, you know, it's funny. You talk about I think perfection is the enemy. Um, and you think about when, when you hop in a car and you, you put an address into your GPS and your smartphone or in the car. Most of the time, I don't know every single road or step right? I just know like the next step and then I just the next step. And, and that's kind of how I, how I treat business as well is like, you just, you fail forward. Yeah. Let's, let's take it a little bit. Let's fast forward it a little bit too, because I want to go from being that we did have similar experiences of running the business ourselves for a good amount of years. I, I think I said maybe eight to 10. I don't even, I think it was maybe eight to 10 or just my, my ex-wife and I doing everything. Uh -huh. Obviously, we had contractors and stuff like that. How long did you run the business sort of in a similar way where you were still kind of, you didn't have a team? Yeah, so I was a one-man show for the first five, six years. Uh, I remember another book I'm sure you've never heard of before, The 4-Hour Workweek, you know, read that and I, I learned about virtual assistants. And to me, that was like, wow, I could hire someone. Like, 
man, Danny, I was never taught to be an entrepreneur. Like I just kind of just started doing things, taking action, right? Like we were just talking about. So I remember hiring my first VA, like in 2010, 11, and uh, didn't know what I was doing and made a gazillion mistakes as far as like trying to hire and manage people. And for me, another defining moment is I was in 2011, 12, I was single and I was dating. And I remember I was on a date and I had just sent out like two, 3000, you know, direct mail campaign. And Danny, my phone would not stop ringing while I was at dinner yeah, yeah. and it was sellers. And I, I felt this, I was conflicted because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not present because I'm thinking that I should be picking up the phone because that could be my next 15, $20,000 deal. But I'm with this young lady and I want a date. So I'm like, this is not a business. This is a high paying job. Like I need to, and I started to get to the point where I didn't enjoy necessarily going out and talking to sellers. Like I had kind of been there, done that. Um, and that's the first thing I said, okay, I got to get this off my plate. So yeah, 2012, 13 is when I hired my first, uh, hired an acquisitions manager. And, um, I slowly started to build a team from there. So, you know, between 2013 up until last year, um, I had a team of nine, you know, a couple acquisitions manager, a transaction coordinator, dispositions manager. So, um, it was a big difference hiring and starting to treat this like an actual business versus the first five, six years where. I was a one man show and I was wearing all the hats. Cool. Let's dig into that. Let's dig into yeah. that whole, what makes up that transition from, from being on the date, getting all those calls going, man. And honestly, I may have said, you know, I may have rescheduled the date. I'd be like, I'm, I'm dropping deals. Like, <laughs> I'll call you. I'll call you tomorrow, but I got to go. Like I got to take these calls. Yeah, man. I thought about it. So yeah, but, um, you know, there, there's so much to dive into there. Again, I, I had never hired anybody outside of a, a virtual assistant, you know, and, uh, but the pain of continuing to be the one taking those calls and wearing all the hats in the business. And you know, you got to hire someone when balls start dropping. And when you start to feel like, Hey, I don't want to be doing this, but I know it's important, you know? Uh, so yeah. So I, I placed an ad uh, on Craigslist. I placed a, I put it out on Facebook, you know, to my network. And I, one thing I'll share about hiring people is that I've always had the best success going through my network and through my network's network. So I, I was always very clear about who I wanted, what were the characteristics, what, what was the type of person that would, uh, that would kick butt in that role, you know? So I was very clear on that. And then I would put that out there to my network and inevitably somebody would connect me with someone or somebody would respond from my email list. And I ended up hiring an acquisitions manager that year. We quadrupled the business. I was doing on my own one, sometimes two deals a month. Um, within a year, like between 2013 and 15, we were averaging four or five deals a month. Uh, wow. And there's no way I could have done that on my own. There's just no way. So was the first person acquisitions person or a VA? No. So my, the first person I ever hired was 2011. That was a VA. But honestly, I don't even know that I count that because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, I hired someone. I didn't even know what I wanted them but, to. But let's, but let's look at that, right? Because I think... Um, yeah, I, I want to dig into the specifics of these because this has been big on my mind, you know, as, yeah. as I'm, you know, looking back at, at, at the same history of me getting into hiring people because I had a big resistance. That's why I did it so long by myself. Yeah. You know, it was just the, the big resistance and, and digging into what those resistances were. So when you were looking at getting a VA, do you remember if you even had an idea of what they were going to do when you hired them? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I've, so this is, this is something you'll probably, cause I know you and I will build a relationship from here and you'll probably get to know I'm, I'm a ready fire aim type of guy. 
with most things. And there's been a lot of good from that. And there's been some times where it's kind of backfired on me. Um, I should have had, I should have been more thoughtful and strategic about, hey, let's, let me create a list of the things I want to outsource or get off my plate. Now I know better. But back then I was like, I read this in a book. It makes a lot of sense. Let me just go ahead and hire someone. I'll kind of figure it out. That wasn't the right approach. That's not what I'm recommending somebody do. You want to be very thoughtful and, and purposeful about identifying like one of the things, one of the exercises that I share with people, because I want to start to get into the weeds and give people some practical um, advice and things that have helped me is take out a sheet of paper, just draw three lines. So you basically have four columns and label each column that the top it's revenue generating activities that I enjoy. That's literally the, the title in the first column. The second one, revenue generating activities that I don't enjoy. The third one, non-revenue generating activities I enjoy and then non-revenue that I don't enjoy. And time track, time block, and figure out what it is that you spend your time on for an entire week. Like literally write down every 15 to 30 minute blocks what it is that you're spending your time on, including the inefficiencies, like scrolling through Instagram and Facebook, like actually document that. Um, and then take that list and your job is to transfer it into one of those columns. When you're done with that, you should be focusing on column one revenue generating activities that you enjoy or give you energy. That's where you need to be spending the majority of your time. That's the best use of your time. Because whether you realize it or not, your hour, your time is worth something. Now, the question is, do you know what that is and what value do you place on it? You know, because if, if you're spending your time, Danny, um, you know, trying to design, trying to fix your website, trying to design a business card, trying to, you know, just things that are not generating revenue, Man, like if you can hire somebody for 10, 15, 20 bucks an hour to do that, but your hours worth 200 or 300 or 100, like you're tripping over dollars to get to, to get to pennies is the mm -hmm. way I look at it. So that's an exercise that really helped me after I hired a VA and I figured out like, man, I don't, I don't know what to have this person do. I was just kind of like throwing stuff against the wall and she didn't last long because she didn't have much guidance and direction from me. Um, before I hired the acquisitions manager, I got crystal clear, Danny, on what are the things that produce revenue that I enjoy? Mm -hmm. Everything else either needs to be done by somebody or handled by a system. So here are four things I always ask myself when I'm doing something. Can this be automated? Can it be delegated? Can it be outsourced? Or can I just delete it? Those are four questions that I ask myself whenever I do something. If it can be automated, fantastic. Let the system do the heavy lifting for you. If it can be outsourced or delegate, find out who's the right person to do it, right? And then sometimes we just do tasks because in my opinion, in my experience, I should say, we're just accustomed to doing them, but like, are they really serving you anymore? Hmm. So sometimes we can manufacture and compress time just by taking stuff off our plate. Yeah. And I already, like, as you're saying that I can, I still do it to this day. You know, there's things where it's faster for me to just do it than try to find somebody to do it yeah. or to show them how to do it. So how did you overcome that? I'm sure you had the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I realized that if, if your ultimate goal is to build a business that's going to serve you and not the other way around, I find that most people have a business, but they're the servant to the business, right? If they stop working, the business stops. Um, we love traveling. My family and I travel pretty often. And I didn't like back then that when I traveled business shut down, mm. you know, and then I came back to an avalanche of emails and voicemails and just a catching up, right? You, you hear that all the time. Oh, I'm in catch up mode. I was tired of being in catch up mode. 
So I realized that the only way I could build the business is if I could get things off my plate. I'm only one man. There's only 24 hours in a day. And how is it that successful people out there can accomplish so many different things? We're all given the same amount of time. And the reason you do that is leverage, you know, and you have to work with people. You have to build a team of the right people that love to do the things that are going to shine in areas that you're not going to shine in. Mm. Um, so honestly, for me, it was just a mindset. It was just a decision that, Hey, if I really want to build a business here, I can't be the one like pulling all the levers and wearing all the hats. Um, so I don't know that I have anything sexy for you or for the audience to say like, Hey, once I did this, it changed everything. I just got tired of being tired. You know, yeah. I got tired of being the one doing everything. So the pain of, of, of having to do that was greater than the pain of taking the time to just set it up to get somebody to do it for you. Yeah, right? Danny. Like it, 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 yeah. yeah, I was going to say the other thing, man, is that if you don't do it now, you're going to wake up in 12 months and you're going to be in the same position. Yeah. So like eat the frog now. Yeah. And just even though it might take you longer to do what it is you have to do, um, it's better to do it now because then you have a process. You have a standard operating procedure or a system moving forward and you can unplug yourself from the equation. Yeah. And it's, it's such a false belief and it's not even logical that it's faster for me to do it because guess what? I'm going to have to do it next time and the next time and the next time. If I take the time instead to, to create that process that I can hand off to somebody on Upwork or whatever, yeah. I don't have to do it the next time and the next time and the next time. hundred percent. I learned from uh, Michael Gerber when I read the e-myth many, many years ago is that uh, devote some time every single week to work on the business. Mm. Most of us are so caught up in technician mode, working in the business, that if you never take the time to carve out to work on the business, like think big picture, like a CEO or an entrepreneur would be, you're always going to be the one like in the rat race, like on that hamster wheel within your own business, which becomes a, a prison. Like yeah. you become, you become a, you know, a, a prisoner in your, in your own business. And that's, for me, that's not what business is about. You know, business is supposed to serve you and serve others, not the other way around. Yeah, it's so weird how it's like, it's incongruent, right? Like you're thinking yeah. I've got my own business, I'm free, but you don't feel free. Like I, I feel as locked down or more even because I'm responsible, right? I can't just like kick my feet up and try to make it through the day because that <laughs> I'm not gonna get paid if I do that. That's right, 100% man. Support the family, so. I want to also ask, okay, so the acquisitions person, because I think I, I get a lot of questions about, well, how am I going to bring an acquisitions person on if I can't afford to pay them? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and even with the commissions, like let's, let's look at all those things. How did, right. well, first, I guess the, the clear question is how did you go about compensating your first acquisitions person? Great question, Danny. I want to, I'm going to answer your question in a second, but I want to kind of backtrack to what you said. Well, how can I afford them? I had that same mindset and thought, and I remember I asked my coach that same question. This was back in 2012. And because I, I was, I didn't know how to do this. Like, how do I go about and hire an acquisitions manager? He told me something that to this day resonates with me. He said, how can you afford not to? And when he said that the light bulb went off for me, so um, he recommended, and I kind of followed his advice. I didn't, uh, while we were still doing some deals here or there, like I didn't have, I was thinking, man, I got to pay somebody 50, 60, $70,000 a year salary. Like I don't have that kind of money. Right. Um, I quickly learned that salespeople don't, you, a good salesperson wants commission where they're, they're not capped, right? They don't have a ceiling. Uh, so I actually paid them. My first acquisition manager was getting paid 25% 
of the gross profit, which is wow. very high. Again, this was 2013. Uh, you know, didn't really know what I was doing. I was just figuring it all out. That's kind of the theme here with me. And um, yeah, I offered somebody 25% of the deal because in my mind, Danny, if I didn't have to worry about taking the calls and meeting with the sellers and getting it under contract, if all I had to do was the marketing and connecting deals to buyers, mm -hmm. in my mind, I was like, I'd give up a quarter of the deal for that. Mm. So yeah, for the first two, three years, that person was getting 25% of every single deal. Wow. Um, so but like you said too, though, but you said... You hired them on in that first year, you quadrupled yeah. the number of deals. Quadrupled. So even one quarter of that, I'm sure, is vastly offset by the increase that you got from retaining 75% of, of doing uh, quadruples in one, one year. 100%, Danny. And again, there's no way that I would have been able to do that without working 18, 20 hours a day. And that's not what I wanted. I'm a big lifestyle guy. I realized this is a, a I was creating a lifestyle business. Um, and not just the fact that we were, I was making more money by hiring somebody, but the fact that I could go on dates, I could travel, I could do things and not feel confined to my own business. And that anxiety, that stress that we feel coming back from a trip, we're like, oh, I got to catch up and I got all these things. That was almost probably worth it to me more than the additional revenue we were generating mm. because I brought somebody on. Nice. Yeah. So what, what kinds of did you run into any hiccups with that? I mean, as far as bringing them on and training them to take calls and uh, go to appointments, you know, what was that like that, that bringing that person on and, and training them? Yeah. Um, let me tell you why, while I did make some mistakes, of course, I, uh, I took the opposite approach I did when I, when I hired a VA, right. Is before hiring that person, I had standard operating procedures in place for the different departments in my business. Again, that book, E-Myth by Michael Gerber really had an impact on my life. I started to think like, uh, like the entrepreneur, not like the technician. Mm. So I probably spent a good six months, Danny, before hiring that person. And I actually started to document how I did the different things in my business, right? So one of the ways that I found very effective to document is like, take something simple, like running comparable sales, running comps. I would just typically be technician. I'd go in there, run a comp, and then, you know, did whatever I had to do with it. Right. And then next property came up, I do it again. Well, I just used at the time it was called screen floor Camtasia. Now there's a million tools. And I just documented in a short 10 to 15 minute video, exactly how I went about running comparable sales. And I just talked through the process as if I was teaching a 15 year old. So I would document that. And then what I did was I hired somebody at the time it was Odesk which was, is now Upwork. Mm -hmm. I went out and I subcontracted and I hired someone and I said, Hey, take this video. And I want you to create a very simple step-by-step -step standard operating procedure, almost like a checklist. So that the end goal is I could hand this to a 15 year old. They could read it and follow along and understand how to run comparables. So first I created a simple video and I talked through each step. And then I sent that video to a virtual assistant or somebody that could watch it and create an SOP. You know, think of like McDonald's, right? McDonald's, everything is in a binder. It's, it's, these are all procedures, processes. And I started to uh, methodically do that with every single department in the business. So when I hired the virtual, uh, when I hired the acquisition manager, Danny, I basically had the front end of the business completely documented. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I love, I love this conversation so far because of the fact that 
it's a you're showing when you hired the VA what what you did because I I made the same mistake. I'll figure it out. I'll hire them. We'll figure out what they're going to do, what they're responsible for, and and all. And it was a freaking nightmare, right? Because yeah. if, if you don't know what they are supposed to do, they don't know what they're supposed to do, and nobody right. feels good when they don't know what they're supposed to do. They don't want to bug you, and and then going from that to you know that you need to hire this person, acquisition person, you kind of know what they're going to do, but you still waited until you had documented everything so that you could give them the binder. Yeah. yeah. Right. And the, the other thing that I think it's important when I hired this uh, person, Danny, um, I set them up for success. Uh, juxtapose that to the virtual assistant. I, I didn't set her up for success. And what I mean by that is I didn't just hire her and say, Hey, here are the videos, here are the SOPs let me know how it goes kind of thing. No, like I spent a good month with that acquisition manager and we trained every single day. You know, we role played, we went on appointments together. Uh, she shadowed me. I would then have her do it. We would like set up uh, strategic calls after where I would give her feedback and kind of coach her through the process. So I, I spent a lot of time and energy because I've realized that when you find the right person, um, it could be a game changer in your business. It really can. So I spent quite a bit of time with that person. Not just like, not only did I, did she have the resources and the SOPs and the videos, but I was also pouring into her so that after the first 30, 45 days, like she was rocking, she was on her own. Yeah. Oh, that's, it's amazing. Yeah. Cause for most, most people I talk to that bring on acquisition person, it takes them one, two, three, four, five people. And they feel like it's cause they found the right person. Yeah. Whereas I don't know if, you know, obviously there can be luck involved sometimes, but the fact that you just said you spent the whole month and you poured into to her to get her to this level because you're walking around with all this knowledge yeah. and experience yeah. and you have to transfer that experience. Even the written processes don't give the experience of doing it, right? And you right. talked about role play, um, you know, like in nowadays with like call rail stuff like that, all the calls, you can listen to what she's saying and what the conversations are, and then go and like role play afterwards say, you know, what could have been better do it this way. Right. And then Absolutely. they're learning through experience. Yep. Yep. And that, that's really important. You know, I, I didn't just throw her to the wolves as they would say is, you know, for the first two weeks, all she did was shadow me. She shadowed me on phone calls. She shadowed me. And then after those calls, after those seller appointments, we would carve out an hour to 90 minutes where it was just Q and a, Hey, what were your takeaways? What are your questions? What are your comments? Uh, and then we would just go from there, you know? So I think it's important. It's kind of like, think about for, for your listeners that are sports fans, right? You have an off season and then, you know, before the season ramps up, you're practicing, you're in the weight room. Like that's kind of what training a new employee is, is you got to put in those reps so that when they get in the game, they can shine. Yeah. And you've got to make the time in your schedule to be able to do it so that you don't feel like, Oh man, I got to do this. Because that's exactly. not, yeah, I, I wrote down, I really like that uh, idea of creating the video and then having somebody else produce the written uh, SOP for it and yeah. SOP standard operating procedure. Did you ever read the book, um, Work the System? Uh, it's funny. I got that book about a month ago. It's on my list. No, I read Traction and, yeah. uh, but I think it's, it's along the same lines, but no, I haven't read Work the System yet. Well, maybe there's another one. I think it's Sam Carpenter worked the system. He talks about having a call center business and it just completely ruined him. And, you know, he realized that it was all about procedures and stuff like that. And so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, it's a pretty cool book. Anybody listening out there, um, if you if you hesitate or you just can't bring yourself to write 
SOPs and, and uh, processes and systems and all that kind of stuff. Man, read E-Myth like Alex is talking about, but then also get work the system. I think it's Sam Carpenter. Um, one thing I do want to share, Danny, since you brought up the videos, when I, uh, when I first started recording videos, I made the mistake and I want to share this because like it wasn't common sense to me back then. Now I think about it, it makes a lot of sense. But when I started recording videos, some of my videos, Danny, were 30, 45, 60 minutes long. And what happens if the website changes, for example, or something in the process? Now you got to go back. So now my SOP videos are literally under five minutes and they're broken down into little mini segments so that if one of my team members has a question on, hey, how do I do this? She knows or they know or he knows exactly where to go and just rewatch that part. And if something changes, all I got to do is now record another three to five minute video. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge point because nothing is more frustrating than thinking, oh, crud, they changed it. Now I've got to record this whole thing right, and everything right. changes. Like you know, Google's changing the interface on all their stuff. Like, yep. yeah, just crazy. Yeah. That's a huge point. And that's why I prefer the written ones. That's why I liked your idea of transcribing the video ones. Yeah. But I, I, do you find that people will tend to watch the videos though versus going step-by-step step through reading? Really good question. It depends on how they learn. It depends on how they absorb information. Like for me, I love podcasts. I, I can listen to, to stuff and absorb it. I can watch something and absorb it. Um, it. I'm a reader, so I've gotten better at that area, but I've had to work at it. But when I would read something, I wouldn't absorb it as quickly. So you, you have to understand your team and how they absorb, how they learn. But that's why I like having the video uh, along with the actual documented, you know, the SOP, the mm. written version. And by the way, this is not... Like, don't think a book in paragraphs of how to do something. Think very step-by-step. Step. I mean, there's pictures, there's call-outs, there's arrows, there's, you know, bullet points. I mean, it's literally the goal is you should be able to turn this over to somebody that has no idea about that task and they should be able to successfully complete it. And, you know, the beautiful thing about those procedures as well, even if it's just you or somebody on your team uh, using them, is the fact that, as you go through and use them and time and, and situations happen, they're improved upon. Yes. You know, so what you were doing at 1.5 years ago is vastly different than what you're doing today because of these other experiences. You, you found these problems and you found ways to avoid them. Yeah. And it's never forgotten. That's right. That's right. And Danny, to buffer your point, uh, we got to the point over the course of the last 2017, 18, 19, when my team started to grow, that we had quarterly team meetings and we spent time every single quarter reviewing our SOPs oh, wow. and updating and refreshing it. Because if you wait too long, it basically gets outdated to your point. Mm, yeah, that's, that's smart. I like that. Yeah. How do you handle people like having empowering people on your team to make changes? Great, man. Phenomenal question. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes I think I have made and I've learned from as a leader is when you empower someone and then you go in and you micromanage and you basically like disempower them. You're essentially telling them that you don't trust them. So um, I had to get comfortable with the fact that people were going to screw up. People were going to make mistakes. Uh, there may be some lost deals and revenue and that's painful, but that's how you grow. And so uh, provided that you've taken the steps to find the right people, assuming you've done that well and you know you have the right people, you have to let them learn on their own. Uh, and you have to hold them accountable. They have to know that 
there's accountability in place and there has to be buy-in. So like whenever I hire someone, I give them the big picture. Hey, here's, I want you to think of yourself as a CEO of this particular department or this particular job. That's how I want you to treat this. Mm. You're not an employee. In fact, I don't even use the word employee. I use the word team members. You're a team member. You're the CEO of the acquisitions department. And I want you to feel like your job is whenever you decide to move on, if you decide to move on, I want you to leave this position stronger than how you, how you found it, how you came into it. So I like to actually empower people. If you see better ways to do something, if you see inefficiencies, feel free to like, let's have a conversation. We would have a, a weekly, uh, so we follow traction EOS, the uh, entrepreneur operating system. And we would essentially do a level 10 meeting and we would discuss those types of things. How do we improve in certain areas within the business? So uh, it's a really good question because I used to empower people and then kind of check over their shoulder, micromanage, and nobody likes to be micromanaged. Mm. There's so much gold in this. I mean, anybody that's listening to this that is in that phase of still doing things yourself, but know that you want to grow in yourself and your business as a leader, as a business owner, to create that situation where your business is working more for you than you for your business, man, take notes on this episode, go back and listen again, because each of these things, I'm sure Alex was, was hard earned, right? I mean, you, you didn't just say, I'm going to do this. And then all those ideas came to you. Let's, let's no. meet every quarter to review all these. Let's, you know, have people see themselves as CEOs of their, you know, section of the team, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff, man, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. One, one thing I want to kind of throw in here, Danny, is that um, I realized that when I started hiring people, people will come work for you and your business and your organization. And it can't just be about money. There's got to be a bigger purpose. So if you're going, if you're thinking, you're listening to this or watching this and you're thinking about building a team, or maybe you have a team and just things aren't going well, do you have core values? Like what's the mission? What's the purpose for your business? And it has to be more about money. Because when you have buy-in from your team and, and, and you're hiring people based on core values and there's an alignment there and there's a bigger purpose for the business, uh, man, people will go to bat for you. People will go to the ends of the earth. And I've oftentimes had team members say, I am I'm, I'm making less money here than I know I can make elsewhere, but it's a, there's a bigger purpose here, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's a camaraderie, there's a culture, there's, there's core values I believe in. That's extremely important. And that's very individual to the owner of the company and yes. what you want your team to look like, who you want to bring on. Now, I, I'm going to be honest and say that whenever I first tried to do that, I struggled because I was like, bigger purpose, I want to make money. Yeah, I get it. You know, and, and looked at, well, why do I want to make money? But sometimes the whys, I don't know, it just, it, you know, I struggled with it. I was like, how am I going to get my team to buy into this did you struggle with that? How did you guys go yeah. through like your discovery of that? I, um, I ended up in 2018, I hired, uh, an EOS implementer and the book traction by Gino Wickman can kind of walk you through this process. It's a framework for operating your business. It's an operating system. And that's when I really realized the importance of having documented core values that people actually bought into. And yeah, Danny, you're, you're hundred percent right, man. Up until that point, uh, and even past that point, look, we're running a business. Revenue is important. Revenue is a priority. You got to make money. Otherwise, what are you really doing? Right. Uh, but I realized that when I didn't focus solely on the revenue, 
and I had the big picture in mind about the purpose. And for the, for, for our purpose, it wasn't necessarily about helping homeowners that that's a service, but for us, it was about building leaders and team members. When I was hiring a lot of people, it was about, I wanted to empower these people to be leaders. Hmm. You know, I wanted them that if they wanted to go off on their own, I would support that. I would encourage that. Uh, and I wanted them to eventually walk away from our business with growth, like growing as a person, growing as a leader. So that was our purpose. That was our, our mission. And it was nice. about the team. And when I poured into the team, they would naturally pour out into the homeowners we worked with, with the investors, title companies, everybody that we would communicate with. So, um, yeah, I, listen, I don't want to sound like, um, I don't want to sound like I'm running a nonprofit here. Revenue is extremely important and more important than revenue is profit. That's a whole separate conversation. Uh, but yeah, it has, I think when you can make it Danny more than just the money, mm -hmm. uh, people will go a lot further and your business will start to grow even more. Yeah. I, I like what you were saying about, you know, building leaders and, and having that as being a purpose because, you know, for me, I, I, I liked being challenged, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I feel like if you are that type of person that can challenge people to grow a team of people that like being challenged. Yeah. It's just a beautiful situation. Right. I mean, because it, it makes, if you're just doing stuff to say, I got it all done. Okay. See you later. You know, you're not building anything. You're not building yourself. So that's it's really nice. I like that. And when you were talking about the, um, you know, helping homeowners, because yeah, I, I've been through that too. Where I was like, all right, well, you know, our core values are we want to improve the the neighborhoods and all that kind of stuff. I was like, you know, I'm not fully buying into that. Exactly. And and it's easy to make it, you know, to put the the part of our mind of uh, like, we're gonna put this on our website so people are gonna see it, right? And so we gotta make sure that's wrong. It's not for that. That's right, that's right. right. Be, be authentic, be genuine. Like that whole thing, you know, we operate with integrity and we wanna, we wanna beautify the neighborhoods. And we like, if that doesn't strike a chord with you and that doesn't resonate with you, don't BS people because they're going to read right through it. Like there's no right or wrong here. This is your business. So what is your mission? What's your purpose? Whatever that is, then, then live by it, operate by it. You know what I mean? Like don't just throw up words that look pretty and look good to make pe other people feel good. Like it's got to resonate with you. And, and I knew for me, like I hadn't talked to a homeowner in years and like, I didn't have that connection anymore. Yeah. I want to help people, of course, but that's not why I was in business. Right. I was in business because I wanted to work with the right people. I wanted to grow leaders. And then naturally they would have a ripple effect and do what they had to do out in our market. And I know that since you mentioned traction and, and, and entrepreneur operating system, that is the framework that traction talks about. Mm -hmm. um, the part of that that I really like is they have the what's it called? The people analyzer. I think yeah, people analyzer. Right. Right. So so you're actually using those core values. It's not just here's the core values. Let's all you know, live by this. You actually hire based on those core values. And then you Absolutely. analyze people over time on your team, how they're, you know, living those core values. You're hundred percent right, Danny. The first box that has to get checked, never hire somebody that doesn't fit every single one of your core values. I mean, that's the way to sink the ship. So you hire based, you hire, train and fire based on core values. Obviously there, there has to be a certain level of competency. Of course. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's based on core values first. And that's why people say don't, don't use something like integrity because everybody that 
you when interact with should be you should yeah. should have integrity right i mean that's a given you have a deeper meaning to it or something but yep yep because, i agree with you yeah, it's not <laughs> does this person have integrity well i mean it's going to be obvious that if, if they don't that they're not a good fit for most people unless you're a criminal right right yeah I've, I've never spoken to somebody that would hire someone if they didn't have integrity so that's just kind of a given <laughs> what, yeah they, they call that something but anyway yeah yeah, it can be it can be interesting coming up with core values. And I think the first time I did it was like 30 minutes. Those were not those got trashed when I took it seriously and did it the right way. Yeah. In the I book, in, in traction and in YouTube, Gino Wickman has videos and the book will walk you through the exercise of how do you identify what your actual core values are? It's to your point, it's not something you just like think about and write down. Okay, those are our core values. No, there, there's there's a way to kind of uncover and extract what your core values are. Right. And it's not something to, to use to, to use it as, as an excuse to not bring on help, right. To say, well, I don't know what they are and I don't know what type of person it's yeah. like, you know, I'm sure you didn't figure out core values before you brought your acquisition person on. Right. No, no, I didn't. Yeah. Yep. Have you yep. had any, anybody uh, leave and, and become your competition? Yeah, it's happened a couple of times um, and I've changed my mindset about that. And I know sometimes people give lip service. I, I truly believe uh, collaboration over competition, you know, now when I hire somebody and I train them and I pour a lot into them, uh, do I want them to leave? Not really, but if that's what they're meant to do, like if like I, I generally speaking, I don't hire entrepreneurs. What I mean by that is if someone's a natural entrepreneur, like uh, that person, I already know that they're going to go out and do their own thing. Now, if people grow and develop themselves and they aspire to do that, then I encourage that. And I figure out, hey, how can we work together? How can one plus one equal 10 here? You know, so I uh, know do I when I hire somebody, do I want them to leave in three months? Of course not. Right. Uh, but if they ultimately desire to do that, then I support them and I figure out, Hey, how can we support each other? How can we help each other? How can we grow and do more together? Yeah. That's a good perspective on it. Right. Cause what, from, if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying the uh, it, it's about the intention of the person, right? If they're coming on solely to copy everything that you've done, not a good fit, not really. Yeah. You're not going to pay lip service and say, Oh, I'm okay with it not cool right but if you're coming in genuinely wanting to be a part of something and you find that through your growth you got to a point where it's time for for you to leave to to continue growing yeah you'll support that and i will say danny uh, i'm glad the conversation has kind of gone here because i think you know everybody listening your job as the leader your job as the entrepreneur is to cast a vision big enough so that other people's visions can fit under that umbrella you know, and so rather than lose somebody valuable on my team, I would rather figure out, can they grow within the organization? Can they grow within the company? And what does that look like? You know, so we, we would, I would have quarterly meetings with my team members and I would ask them like, what are your goals? Like, where are you at in that process? Where, how can I help you? How can I support you? Like if you were to ask and interview my team members, like they knew I, I gave a crap about them. Like I genuinely cared about them and, and the direction that they wanted to go with. And I would support that to, to the best of my ability. Um, so rather than have somebody leave, I would figure out if somebody just wanted more challenge, wanted more growth, can I provide that within the structure of my business? Hmm. Well, at what point, you know, we're, we're going to be running out of time here in, in just a little bit, but with the, the acquisitions person, 
who did you bring on next on the team? Yeah. So, um, acquisitions per well acquisitions person was the first person. The second person I hired was a lead manager. Why? Because really good salespeople don't want to be bogged down on the phone with non-qualified leads. And I started to increase my marketing. We started to generate more leads. And I went to that person. I said, Hey, like I'm seeing that there's a little bit of a bandwidth issue, you know? And, uh, and that's one thing that you have to have lines of communication open with every single one of your team members. And they told me like, I could really use somebody that could help me with the leads. So I ended up hiring a leads manager and her job was just to process incoming leads, do some follow-up and make sure that the qualified prospects, the motivated sellers were the ones that my acquisition manager was focused on kind of the 80, 20 rule. Um, so did that for about six to 12 months. And then, uh, and then it got to the point where I was still wearing the dispositions hat dispositions and the transaction coordination. And so I ended up hiring a dispositions manager about a year later, cause I wanted to remove myself from that department during that time. I started to document processes, procedures on how I actually, how do I dispose properties? How do I build a buyer's list? How, what do those conversations and relationships look like? So I actually started to document that process. Um, hired a dispositions manager. Then I hired a transaction coordinator, somebody that could work with all the parties involved, the title company, and made sure that when we got contracts, they got to the closing table. Mm, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you feel like you started needing somebody as I always feel weird about calling it a COO in such a small company, but you know, a chief operating somebody like a managed general manager. Yeah. Well that, so it's funny that you asked me that because that kind of, I think is a, is an interesting uh, kind of case study for lack of a better word uh, for allowing people to grow within your organization. Uh -huh. My dispositions manager who also happened to double up and handle marketing, he wanted growth and he was a rock star, and that growth, he essentially evolved and transitioned into more of a COO role where he could take on more responsibility and kind of like manage the operations of the business. So uh, I was like you, man. I'm like, man, we're a relatively small team, you know, seven, eight, nine people. Like, well, well, you know, I don't really need a COO, but really whether you realize it or not, I was wearing that COO hat. I was still running the sales meetings. I was running the level 10 meetings. When I got him involved, he started to take over those things. He started to then track the, the, the key performance indicators, the KPIs, hold people accountable to their numbers where I no longer had to do that. And then That's he and I would just have a weekly meeting. Yeah. Oh, it's nice. I like that. I like bringing that person up into it and, and taking that. And I like how you said too, that, you know, whether you realized it or not, and that's the key, whether you realized it, even if you feel like, well, I'm doing this, but there's not that much to it. It's still, it's still taking some of your energy off of the bigger company working on the company stuff. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. My job as CEO, Danny, I saw, I, I love relationships. Like I want to be building relationships with potential partners, with private lenders. Um, and I wanted to think big picture direction of the company. Think of yourself as kind of the captain of the ship. Um, and, and I wanted to make sure that we were going in the right direction. I didn't want to be caught in the weeds of, mm. you know, and, and when you're wearing those hats, you're caught in the weeds. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you, whether you realize it, or not sometimes. Exactly. Yeah, that's an incredible thing. Yeah. All right, man, this has been awesome. It's been a great conversation getting to know you and, you know, the, 
you know, what you've experienced in going to where you're, you know, from where you were to where you are now, it's been, it's been great. I think it's a really helpful episode. And if anybody out there listening wants to, to find out more about you or get in touch with you, uh, how can they best do that? Yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, Danny, uh, first off, thank you for having me on the show, man. It's, I love to hop on here and just uh, contribute and add value wherever I can. So uh, I'm an open book. If anybody has any questions and wants to reach out to me, um, I do have a podcast called The Flip Empire Show. Uh, in fact, Danny's going to be on it pretty soon, and I'm really looking forward to that. So if you go to flipempire.com, uh, and then if you just add forward slash podcast, that'll redirect you to Apple Podcast, and you can plug in. I do two shows a week, every Monday and Thursday, and uh you know, I think you'd get a lot out of it. So yeah, definitely check that out. All right. I'm looking forward to that show too, recording that episode with you. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be awesome, man. Thank you so much. And again, if anybody has any questions or wants to reach out, uh, Alex at flipempire.com is my email. Cool. All right, man. Have a good one. We'll be in touch. Take care. All right. What a wonderful, wonderful episode. I'm, I hope you guys took notes and have planned to uh, revisit this episode because I think if you're in that that phase where you want to make that transition to make this more of a business that works for you and not you having to work so hard for the business, just creating that other job, right, where you felt like you were supposed to be free, but it doesn't feel like it's so free, then uh, I encourage you guys to, to heed a lot of the advice in this episode. If you want to get to that stage also where you're able to run your business like that, where you've got those processes in place. I recommend using Tetra. It's a free software, T-E-T-T-R-A.com to be able to do that. And then if you want to have your KPIs uh, updated in real time all the time because you have a software system where all your leads and deals are going through and you're having your KPIs always up to date in real time so that you can have those level 10 EOS traction meetings and have the data for those just really quick through the system, check out Forefront. That's our, our software platform that we've created. Uh, we've got hundreds of real estate investors around the country and even some international that are using that system, absolutely loving the simplicity of it and the, uh, the feel of it. So we've focused really on that user experience and that software. And I think that you'll see uh, you know, what I mean by that when you check it out. Just head over to ForefrontCRM.com. That's F-O-R-E-F-R-O-N-T crm.com. All right, everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you next time.